You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the line. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Whatever you want to talk about in the sports world, we're taking your calls. 334-321-1390. Here on this Monday afternoon, Levi, how's it going, my man? It's going pretty good. Very, very good weekend. I had a long weekend, technically, because I was off Friday. I'll be off tomorrow as well, hoping to shed the quarterback jacket over here. Hopefully get this off tomorrow. We'll see. Hoping for good news. Other than that, I mean... You know, we got basketball, we got the NBA playoffs starting, Stanley Cup. The play-in tournament. The play-in tournament that we will talk about later. Stanley Cup has started off, and don't look now, NC Dinos, they're still in second. One game out of the Korean baseball organization. Auburn basketball recruiting heating up as well. Potentially KD Johnson, the Georgia transfer, of course, has been linked to Auburn. If you've been out there on social media, if you've been keeping up whatsoever, if you have been out from underneath your rock, you have probably seen him linked to Auburn in some form or fashion. What does that mean for Scoot Henderson? Because, of course, if you have been out from underneath your rock, you have probably also heard rumors of the G League. There is so much to talk about today, but we're going to start it off with Auburn football recruiting. Auburn landing Southeast Missouri State transfer by Darius Knighton last Friday. You aren't here to talk about it, so I want to start off the show today breaking down your thoughts on what this adds to the Auburn defensive backfield and then if you have any greater thoughts than that maybe just t- touching on this on a general perspective what are your thoughts on by Darius Knighton joining the Tigers I mean he's a guy who looks like he could come in and play I mean he was he looked like he was good at the FCS level and he has some size and can play around the slot he was productive when he was at Uh, Southeast Missouri, I think if it was somewhere around like north of 250 tackles and maybe like six or seven interceptions, somewhere along those lines, which is really good across that time for him. He can play safety. He can play the nickel. He's a guy who's actually got some good size to him and he's got experience. I mean, he's been playing. It's not some guy who's, you know, he's been tucked away on maybe an FBS roster. He's actually been playing. I think he provides some good depth for Auburn. Maybe could come in and play a good role. I don't know if he's going to be like the ultimate game changer come the fall but you got a guy who can come in veteran presence and can you know just provide some depth for a team that you know needs it at that position I'm surprised that the Auburn community and I hate to build a narrative or or maybe even over exaggerate and I hope that's not what I'm doing here but sometimes there's a vocal minority right and I think this is a scenario where it is a vocal minority, so I, I don't want to blow this up bigger than it, than it is, but there's a vocal minority out there that is kind of pushing back a little bit on some of the guys that Auburn has brought in out of the transfer portal, and that noise chirped a little bit, not just on Friday, but throughout the weekend about Auburn bringing in by Darius Knighton, Tony Fair, some of the other players that have came in, even back all the way to February on, on signing day, and... My thing about Bidarius Knighton is he's going to come in, he's going to provi- provide depth at two primary positions. He's going to provide depth at nickelback, and he is going to provide depth at safety. That's it. And Albert also has another safety transfer that they're trying to bring in that's making his decision soon, I believe as soon as Wednesday. Donovan Kaufman, the Vanderbilt transfer, is set to make his decision imminent. Like, it, it, it is upon us soon, and I... And, you know, you go on 24-7 sports, the crystal ball projections have him going to Auburn. He's got two guys, even friend of the program, Robbie Weinstein. He's been on our show of Vandy 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 sports. He's been on our show a few times. He's even got a crystal ball out there for the Vanderbilt transfer to be headed to the Auburn Tigers. So when you look at that, Auburn's expected to bring in another safety. So what does that mean for Bidarius Knighton, who now 
it is, I, and I think Auburn could use tons of death back there after Chris Thompson Jr. left. It, you don't know who's going to be the true, who, who's going to be the true third guy in that safety room because at the top of it right now, after the spring, you've got Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson as your two starting safeties, and you don't really have a true backup right now because Chris Thompson Jr. left. Well, that would be where Bidarius Knighton is right now. But once Kaufman commits to Auburn, if he ends up doing that, does Kaufman? end up ahead of Knighton on the depth chart and Knighton ends up going and playing Nickelback all of that remains to be seen and we won't know anything about that until week one rolls around but it's all just interesting to see how it shakes out I'm just shocked that so many people have pushed back on this it's like he's he's not a he's not going to be a crucial player he's got one year of eligibility left and he's and he's purely there for depth and I'll tell you this if that's what Auburn is bringing in for depth that's a positive because the guy has over 200 tackles. It was 222 tackles over four seasons. He had five interceptions over those four seasons. He showed his ability to compete in pass coverage, considering one of his years back in 2018, he had 10 pass deflections. Another year, he had seven. Those are solid numbers for the FCS level where you're playing less than what you do at the FBS level in terms of games. So I like what the guy shows us. He's a little short at only six feet tall if he's playing the safety position. If not, and he's playing the nickel position, that doesn't really, I, I think six feet's fine. But he's at 200 pounds. The guy can hit hard. You look at some of his highlight tape. He's not afraid of contact. He hits hard. I like this. I like this a lot. I think it's a good move. And to kind of go off of what you're saying, where you're kind of attacking what you think is the vocal minority, I... I tend to agree with what you're saying, and it kind of stems from one of the reasons I don't like following. I, I've never been one of those people who follows recruiting just so closely to the T where I'm hanging on everyone because you find these people who are star elitist, as I call them, where they just see five-star guy, four-star guy. They don't, they don't care. That's all they look at. To, to play devil's advocate, though, blue-chip ratio is a thing. Yes. And it matters. It does, but... If you're if you want to look at something with context, who like it's like oh I'm upset with what they're bringing in in the transfer portal. Who else were they gonna bring in? Who are like I mean what are the guys that were available come this time? Like you look at some of the best. Most of these transfer most transfer guys end up around a three star in transfer. If you look at it on you know twenty four seven where you'll see their high school star yep. rating, which is typically four or five whenever they're transferring. And most of the time, they drop down to a three when they're transferring because they've either underperformed or something like that. There's very few guys. Like DeMarcus Bowman was one that, you know, he was a five-star transfer. Is he going to come to Auburn and play behind Tank Bigsby? No. Like, there's there's just very few guys who are going to come in to appease that vocal minority that I just ignore that. Because if you look at it with context, you can see there's not really, there's not guys who Auburn could have gotten that would have appeased that crowd. So I just pushed them to the side and just ignored them because, I mean, like, what else were they going to do? Like, nothing. Like, you, you need a depth at safety. You found a guy who provides you, who gives you depth at safety. And, oh, also, you might be getting another guy who gives you even more depth at safety. You had a guy transfer and out. And he was an SEC player. Yeah, Say what he, you will about Vanderbilt, but he was an SEC player. He was an SEC player. He knows the defense. He knows the scheme. He's familiar with Derek Mason. You might as well bring a guy like that in. If, you, if you're bringing somebody in for a veteran presence and a backup spot and, you know, and just giving you some depth, you might as well get a guy who's already played with the coach. You don't. He's he's behind the curve on learning everything. Well, good. He doesn't have to learn everything because he already played in it. Auburn fans seem to want T.J. Finley. The news continues to trickle around out there that T.J. Finley could be coming to Auburn. Auburn fans seem to be there. There seems to be a section of the Auburn fan base that is pushing for T.J. Finley, wants T.J. Finley to come in and be the starter at Auburn, which I'm not there yet whatsoever to encourage it. I'm not sitting here saying that I want T.J. Finley to come and usurp Bo Nix's position at, at at the quarterback spot, but I don't think it's a negative if T.J. Finley comes to Auburn either. I'll touch on that in a few minutes. But what what are your thoughts on this? So. I've definitely changed my opinion because last week we talked about it. We were, I was kind of flipping about it when we just like lightly mentioned it on the show. I think it was either like Wednesday. It was Thursday. Or, yeah, it was like Thursday, I think, and I flippantly mentioned it. I, over the weekend, I got to doing film study. Not looking at stats, film study, well, like, I, like I do. And I really like TJ Finley. I'm not on that board of trying to no. – I'm not on the board of saying, bring him in, take Bo Nix's job, but – he is raw. He has raw athleticism. He has a an absolute cannon for an arm. And if you know me, I evaluate things typically how 
You see pro guys do it where even if they have flaws, if they're fixable, I'm, I'm all for the, the high-risk, high-reward. I, I want a guy who I can bring in at quarterback who has just this ridiculously high ceiling that I think if you can get it out of him, you've got an absolute just monster of a quarterback. Look, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's got the size to play quarterback at the next level, not just at college football, at the next level. He does have issues, though. His accuracy is a big problem. He tends to overthrow guys, and I think that stems from what my what his next problem is, is mechanical issues in the pocket. I think he's got a little bit of footwork issues, and he tends to, like, his release is a little bit long, which those are things that can be fixed, and if you fix those things, I think you can improve his accuracy. And Because, like, it's not that he's missing throws terribly. It's just he's overthrowing guys a bit bad, and I think that's something that mechanically, if you fix that, he can improve on it. And then the last one, I call it the Ben Roethlisberger slash Tua Tungavailoa thing where you try to hold on to the ball just a bit too long because you're so athletic, because you're used to making the plays at every level because you've been more athletic than guys in high school. He holds on to the ball a bit too long, and you saw it in the Auburn game. There was a reason why he had the had a fumble that got returned for a touchdown. He held on to the ball a little bit too long. you got to get rid of it, hold on to it, just take a sack sometimes if you can't get rid of it. Uh, don't be a little bit careless within the pocket. The interceptions, one was deflected at the line of scrimmage. Can't really blame him on that one. The other one was an overthrow. So if you think about it, a lot of people look at that Auburn game and they say, wow, he was terrible. He turned the ball over this many times. Well, you think about it, one of them really wasn't his fault. The other two, you can look at it and justify it. If you're looking at him as a project player at the quarterback position, I think he's got all the talent where, and I need people to, to hold on before they jump on judgment. He has the raw physical skills to be a not good quarterback, great quarterback, not just at college, but at the next level. But that's just if it gets developed. You see guys. 6'6, mean, 242. You see guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. They're raw. They go into the league, they tear it up. You're all like a linebacker. But you also see guys like Jamarcus Russell, who are big, that go into the league and, you know, they don't work out. Logan Thomas, who's playing tight end right now, or even at the collegiate level. Felipe Franks was a guy who came in with all the raw athleticism in the world, never developed, really didn't end up doing anything. So it's one of those things where it's a high risk, high reward. And I think with the quarterbacks you have, you have Bo Nix, who is a starter. Don't really have to worry about that. You know, if you bring in and Finley doesn't work out, you also have Holden Garner coming in as well. I like I like the move of him coming. I'm not on board of him saying, come in, start him right now, start him right away. But I do, I, I would love to see him at Auburn because I think he is a physical freak. Do you think he could come in and take the job? Not this year, no, absolutely. I mean, so you don't he's, think he's any anywhere remotely close, ready to take this job? And I would agree and, with that sentiment because when we're talking about this, and I compare Bo Nix to T.J. Finley, you know, and I, I don't want to just go off stats here. We'll go off the tape as well, but I'll run through the stats here with you. Last season at LSU, a fifty-seven point one completion percentage, with arguably the best wide receiver out of both teams, with Terrace Ferguson. 941 total yards, 6.7 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, five picks. You look at Bo Nix's numbers, and of course, Bo Nix had more attempts, played in more games. Of course, his job was more secure. But you could also say LSU had a better offensive line, among among other things, right? Like the the situation of the LSU offense, aside from running back, I think you could say was a better situation for T.J. Finley going into last year than Bo Nix with a brand new offensive line. And 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 so when when I look at it. I think that Bo Nix is more refined as a quarterback. Yes. Even when you look at the tape, a more accurate quarterback, not by much, but enough for it to make a difference. And I also think from a turnover perspective, Bo Nix is more refined as well. Yes. And, you know, and decision making, and he's more experienced. Finley was only a freshman last year. Now to be a sophomore, (laughs) that that extra year does make a difference to me. And also, Bo Nix has been in the system for, look, the system's new. It's a new system, but he has been in there. A few more months it's been longer. In the program, yeah, it's, it's it's program in, oh yeah, yeah, program in general, and then just you know the new system that Harson's bringing in with Bobo, he's been in this for a few months ahead of time, and I know people are like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. It does when you're when you're a little bit ahead of the curve on that. You've been around these coaches who you're working and making connections with and getting relationships with them. Oh, it matters. I mean, say if T.J. Finley came in today, wins his chance to show that he could be a starting quarterback this year. You There's not me, one. You give me five months to study for a test versus someone else one month to study for a test, the grades might be different. I mean, right? a you, big you, would ex- you would expect that the grades would be different, and that's, that's why I don't think he could come in and start immediately, but he could be a guy who 
back up, gets familiar with everything, and then the next thing you know, next year, if some of those kinks and flaws are worked out of his game, if Bo Nix were to leave the program, if Bo Nix were to leave the program, or you go know, to the next level, or if Bo Nix has a subpar year this year, or you know, a very underwhelming season this year, and they maybe the quarterback, maybe the coaching staff has lost faith in this guy. If again, if he has an underwhelming year this year. And they want to try to turn it to a new guy, try to get this program jump started in a new direction. Maybe Bo Nix has an incredible year and he takes off to the next level. See, I have a hard time believing that that's going to occur. I have a hard time believing that Bo Nix is going to elevate his game to the point where it is worth it for him to take the step to the next level. Because as you've pointed out to me already, you think this next draft class at quarterback is still going to be pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. I think and it's it a deep might one. not be worth it for Bo Nix to leave this year. It might be worth it to wait and come back for that senior season I can't believe we're even talking about it that light because he hasn't shown us anything up to this point to give you any type of confidence that he's ready to go to the next level so I I think it's highly unlikely that Bo Nix leaves after this year now after his fourth season of course he'll have graduated even though he'll still have that extra year of eligibility due to last year's COVID season and everybody still being able to last year was a wash it doesn't matter for him so he could come back for a fifth year I think that's unlikely which brings me to my point I don't even know if T.J. Finley's best location, when you look at some of the other schools that have contacted him, I don't even know if the best location for T.J. Finley from that perspective is Auburn, especially when you still have Demetrius Davis and Holden Gariner both coming into the program. D. Davis already still in the program, but you've still also lo- got... Yeah. Still loves the program. Best right. decision of his life, according right. to his Twitter account. Today, he a year ago today, Demetrius Davis committed to Auburn, and then you got Holden Gariner, of course, in the next recruiting class. So I don't even know if Auburn's the best location for T.J. Finley, and of course, only he knows that. He'll make, his, he'll make the decision that he feels like is best for him, but my opinion on this is such that it's not a bad thing if T.J. Finley comes to Auburn. I would not sit here and root for T.J. Finley to come in and just take the job from Bo Nix because be careful what you wish for. It may not end up working out as well as you hoped it would. But if he does come to Auburn and he does win the job over Bo Nix, then I believe that he was the best man for the job because I trust this coaching staff in evaluating quarterback talent. also trust this coaching staff and putting the best guy out there because they need to put a good foot out there first a good first step out there in their first season they're not going to put the guy out there that's not qualified to start the best man for the job will win the job at least in their eyes the second part is if he doesn't win the job well your quarterback room got deeper and Auburn needs help with that they do need a transfer quarterback I have said this over the last week when we've talked about where Auburn should go in the transfer portal on the offensive side where do they need some help I have said that Auburn needs to go out and go and get a veteran that's better than Grant Lloyd to be a backup don't put Demetrius Davis into a situation where if Bo Nix were to get injured or if and let's just be real Bo Nix is a more mobile quarterback than most that lends a hand to those types of quarterbacks being more at risk to get injured right I you know if Bo Nix were to get hurt Auburn is in trouble so they need to go and get somebody to provide them depth and quality depth at the position and I would grade TJ Finley at least in terms of depth it's better than what you've got on the roster right now more than likely we he could be on the D Davis could be on the same level as TJ Finley we haven't gotten to see him in a collegiate game but at least TJ Finley brings that experience to where he can win you some football games I, 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 he's not going to beat your Alabamas. He's not going to beat your Georgias. He, he's, he, he probably won't even beat your A&Ms, especially when you look at how he played against A&M last year, only a 36% completion percentage. He was bad against the good teams, good against the bad teams. But the same could be said about a Bo Nix. My thing is, if you bring him in, your depth gets a little bit better, and that's something that Auburn sorely needs at the moment. So it's not a negative if he comes but I, I wouldn't sit here and just be wishing for, because you think this is going to be better because you saw him look like Cam Newton maybe for a moment. It's like, guys, pump the brakes. He was only good against Arkansas and South Carolina. He really wasn't that good against anybody else. He was okay against Alabama, but not great. He was I mean, 50% for yeah. 144 yards and I mean, a touchdown. Yeah, but, I mean, he really wasn't getting much help in that game. I, I vividly remember watching that game, and he looked good, but – but I mean, Again, Bo Nix isn't getting help, and he's no. playing just as well as same. that. So. No, same. I mean, you if know, not better. I say, you know, I'm on the side. I'm not. Yeah. Try, I'm not. I'm not rooting for the I guy. I know you're co- playing devil's advocate, yes, but I'm, not, I'm just. I'm shooting that yes. down right now. I'm not rooting for <laughs> TJ Finley to come in and take the job immediately. But you got a guy like Brian Harson. You got a guy like Mike Bobo, who has developed quarterbacks before. If, you, if he's on your bench and he's absorbing stuff from them, 
Say Bo Nix pops off. I mean, nobody thought Zach Wilson was going to go first round in the draft last year. Nobody thought Mac Jones was going to go first round in the draft last year. Bo Nix has a, if Bo Nix has some kind of year that shows promise for the NFL and dips, you then have a guy who is young. But we can both agree that that's highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely, but it's Thank not you. out of the question. It's not out of the question because we've of, seen it. Because you see it every year. There's always quarterbacks who pop out of nowhere. It, all it takes is one year. Everybody knows the talent's there with Bo Nix. Does he put it on there? Does he show NFL guys that he's ready? You don't know. And even if not, I mean, TJ Finley could come in and just redshirt a year, absorb some knowledge, come in and play, if that's what he wants to do. If he feels like he needs to... He needs to sit back and learn. Or, Technically, Finley is a freshman. Yes. Because last year didn't count. And you are right. He can redshirt still because he played in five games last year. Yep. So he so has all a, yes. that is still on the board. It's, this guy's got a it's fresh almost four like, years. It's almost like you're recruiting a guy normally. A like high school it's, recruit. It's like you're getting a high school recruit who That's did play point. last year. So I do understand that. And People aren't talking about that enough. That's true. It's like you're getting a high school kid that got to play in college for half a season. And like you said, if, if Bo Nix gets hurt, he got I feel dual lot, enrollment credit. I feel a lot better if TJ Finley co- comes trotting out there than Grant Lloyd comes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On the other side of this break, we talk about how Auburn baseball saved their shot at Hoover and the SEC tournament with a series win against Texas A&M. What more happened over the weekend in SEC baseball? All that coming up here on On the Line. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fencewater with you. Here on the Monday edition of the show, number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on On the Live. Once again, 334-321-1390. Make or break factors for Alabama 2021 coming up here on this hour of On the Line. Also, the race appears to be heating up for Georgia transfer guard KD Johnson. What could this do for the Auburn backcourt among a lot of other things that we'll be talking about here in hour number two, Tennessee, could this be their year to get back to a bowl game? Of course, they have to navigate the NCAA waters surrounded them. Also, we haven't gotten to talk a whole lot about the NFL schedule reveal because I know you had some things to take care of at the end of last week. And so we will go through a lot of that here. But we'll start off hour number two with the make or break factors for Alabama in 2021. Levi, what's something that you got on the Crimson Tide? We're continuing this SEC series that we've been going through, going through each of the 14 teams in the SEC, make or break factors for them so far. We've done Auburn, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Now we're knocking out the Crimson Tide. And I feel like they, I feel com- I feel confident in the fact that they will do this, but it's replacing the guys that you lost. I mean, and Alabama does that very well every year, but we've kind of got accustomed to saying, look, they're going to just, you know, reload next man up because they do it so frequently, but you did lose a lot of talent this year, so obviously a make-or-break factor for them in the upcoming year is they, they need to get similar value out of the guys who are coming in. That, you know, pointing to Bryce Young, that's pointing to guys like John Mechie, you know, guys on the defensive side of the ball in the def- defensive Robinson backfield. Robinson out of the backfield. Guys, yeah, yep. Robinson out of the backfield. Guys that we are expecting because they are very talented that will, you know, step up, next man up mentality, and will come in and provide you know they'll come in and play very well but it still has to happen like we expect it to happen but it still has to happen because if it doesn't you're looking at an Alabama team that will struggle a bit if you know if the quarterback position I expect Bryce Young to be great I expect him to be a fantastic quarterback but if he comes in and plays badly then you're looking at a team that you know is lacking in the quarterback department and what are you going to do there so you just got to have you you have to continue your trend of next man up mentality, and it has to come to fruition. Otherwise, it could be a difficult year for Alabama, which I don't expect it to be. <laughs> I, just want, I, just, I want to make sure that I say that so people aren't like, well, we got this, 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 and this stepping up. And I'm like, look, I, I get it. I think they will. I'm just saying if they don't, it's still going to be a tough season for them. Yeah, we might get Greg with an A and an I back on the line with us if we start saying stuff that Alabama's going to struggle this year. Like, you know? I, I don't like, think they do. I'm just saying that for them, no. they 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 do still have to step up and play football at some point. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting it, 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 it's interesting because there's going to be a time when this Alabama dynasty is not firing off like it is right now. And for yeah. anybody that says otherwise, just look back to the Shula days in the 2000s, right? Like one day this will come to an end. You don't know when it will, but up until that day when it comes to an end every single year folks are going to be predicting for it to continue because nobody wants to be ostracized 
for saying uh, uh, otherwise, right? Because everybody's going to be like, oh, that guy over there just said that they're not going to win the national championship or that they're not going to, they're not going back to the college football playoff, right? Like nobody wants to be that guy that everybody's pointing their fingers at and laughing at. Like (laughs) that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And it almost kind of like shoots down your credibility because nobody certainly comes back and says he was right. Nobody ever does that. Yeah, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be the guy left out. I mean, it's just like in 2017, and you can go back to the lunch break. I was doing the lunch break with Zach Blackerby at the time in 2017. I said for a whole month, I said for a whole month, Levi, that Auburn was going to beat Alabama by two touchdowns. Everybody in person and on the radio was saying that I was crazy. Guess what happened? They did. They beat them by two touchdowns. And then you're that guy. So, I mean, but I was that guy for a month, and then, but nobody wants to give credit about it, right? And like, that's just the nature of the game. But this Alabama team does appear to be extremely talented yet again. This is not the end of the dynasty. You don't want to be that guy, like, I don't know, let's say Dan Levitard, who in 2013 said, Tom Brady in the Patriots dynasty was ending and he ripped off what like three or yeah, four another, more another uh, Super Bowls Super Bowls yeah. like you don't want to be that like you like it, it sucks because even he had all the logic in the world behind it and you were you were thinking like yeah I mean Tom Brady's getting older he should be declining at some point 10 but, years later yeah I mean or, or in the Spongebob voice 10 years later and you're still looking at him <laughs> coming back and they're you know again just won another Super Bowl so you you don't want to be the guy who who just constantly is like this is the year it ends and then it just keeps trugging along. So it's like they should be this should be a top team in the country next year. They should make the playoffs. The way the roster is constructed, a semi favorable schedule. The not showing any signs of slowing up. They just had their no. best recruiting class ever under yes. Nick Saban. And Statistically, you, it is the highest rated recruiting class that Nick Saban has ever signed. And you don't. It's hard to do this segment about Alabama. Yeah. They're like legit make or break factors for every other team in the conference. But you're like, with Alabama, you're like, all right, beat Auburn. Well, my thing is, it's just the five-star guys that you you recruited to, you know, come in and replace them. They they still have to come in and play very well. I mean, you expect that to happen. You expect guys to step up because you see it happen. But that's the only thing I could think of where you're like, look, these guys still have to do that. They still have to put, you know, on paper, it looks like they will do it, but you still got to put it on the field. We expect them to do it. I mean, because even, like, say you lose a game. Like, I mean, they're still, like, if you lost one game, they're still getting the benefit of the doubt. You can't sit there and say, oh, they have to beat Florida. Because if they lost to Florida and then won the rest of the games, they're still in the playoffs. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's, oh, they lose to Auburn. If they, all, you know, if if they lost to Auburn and Auburn had two losses, Alabama's still in the SEC championship game, they're still in the playoffs. And we've even seen if they don't make the SEC championship, they still have a path to the playoffs. So it's hard. Yep. You can't even look at this this schedule and they say they won the national title that year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were the best team. They showed that they were the best team in the country when they went through the playoffs. So, so. Even, so maybe you can't even say that the Auburn game is a make or break factor. That's of course, what, yeah. but it's but it's even kind of funny to say that Auburn is a make or break factor for Alabama because everybody just expects Alabama to walk all over Auburn this year and 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 most people expect Alabama to beat Auburn handily this year as they do a lot of years Alabama is typically a a sizable favorite when they play Auburn at least over the last little bit not in 2013 and not in 17 but over this last you know stretch there's been many a game where they have been a favorite now Auburn with that being said, has still been able to beat them. In two out of those three years that Gus Malzahn beat Alabama, Alabama did not win the national championship. And that's fair. So I mean, the Auburn game is tip is a bit is a bit of a you know it is a bit of a leap. Like they have to get over it. But with the playoffs the way it is now, it's 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 harder to make that game so important unless you drop one before that. And I don't see them doing. Like I don't see this team dropping a game before then. And even if they do, like, I mean, there's still a path for them. Even at two losses, they will they still have a path because of the talent, because of the name. People will still consider them regardless if they have one or two losses based off of talent, history, record, res- like all that alone because you're still looking at a team that is one of the most ta- – even if they're not the best and don't have the best record, you know the talent is there regardless. You know the coaching is there regardless. You put them in a playoff, they have a chance to win it because of the way it's constructed. Bill O'Brien may be a make-or-break factor. Is he able to get as much out of this offense schematically as Steve Sarkeesian was able to do? You know, that's fair. Like, if you could, you could sit there and maybe have a two-part to that. You could say Bill O'Brien and the defense. So if the defense doesn't improve, because 
they they weren't terrible last year, and they sh- they started improving towards the end of the year. But it wasn't a typical Alabama defense that you saw throughout you know throughout the Nick Saban tenure. So let's say if the Alabama defense doesn't improve, then Bill O'Brien becomes a make or break factor because if he doesn't get the most out of the offense like Steve Sarkeesian did, or even maybe not even that much, like if he doesn't get a lot out of the offense and the defense hasn't improved, then you're looking at a team that is above average on offense and struggling on defense and you lose those games against Ole Miss in that regard where you're not being able to score that many games or that many points. I don't think that happens. The defense showed signs of improvement throughout the end of the year. I think they carry that into this year. I think they've got some good talent coming in, obviously on the defense side of the football. And I think the defense will improve. So I don't know how much Bill O'Brien will factor in because I think the defense will be better, but I don't know. I think the offense has way too much talent for even Bill O'Brien to ruin it like you ruined the Texans. <laughs> even, but, but you can't say that, though. It, the, the reason why Bill O'Brien ruined the Texans was poor general managership, yeah. right? Yeah. It was not anything to do with offensive sc- scheme. I don't know. I got tired of seeing Deshaun Watson hand the ball off two times and then throw a quick slant. It worked whenever they were down by 20 points, and he said, all right, well, now you got to throw the ball down the field. He's like, okay. I, I was just waiting for him to unleash Deshaun Watson, and he there was like at one point where he finally did, and it worked out, and you're just like, man, why have you been keeping this dude? It, I mean, it was a lot like Russell Wilson was the past few years before this year where you're like, man, if they would just let him just sling it a few times, like actually just let him uncork it instead of handoff, handoff. Short pass, screen pass. Like you, you gotta. Sometimes you just gotta let your quarterback, who's an all, like who's a superstar. Sometimes you just gotta let him do that. And you have a guy like Bryce Young that you want to let that happen with. So I'm hoping he just lets him uncork it if he's ready for it because the dude's talented. Maybe we say Pete Golding as well, another make or break factor for this Alabama Crimson Tide team. And, and when you're talking about make or break factors for Alabama, it's like the difference between them winning a national championship and not winning a national yes, championship like it's not in them making the playoff or anything like that or having a subpar season it's it's about whether or not they win a national championship and I think you could say Pete Golding is the thin line between yeah. Alabama winning a title and not and we you got to understand we are nitpicking with these like we have to like we are just like you this is to. a fine-tooth comb going through this team like we're we're not saying that if Bill O'Brien doesn't match what Steve Sarkeesian did that this Alabama team still <laughs> won't be great five. like oh uh, yeah th- that's not gonna <laughs> happen like I'm sorry like it just if Bill O'Brien comes in and is less than Steve Sarkeesian I'd expect him to do that you're not gonna see seven and five or six and six like that's just not gonna happen you're so still, you'll still probably see a playoff team exactly it's just that's why we're we're just happen like we're trying to find something make or break is you know look you're also the another one I guess you can say on paper you should win all of these games, put it on the field. That's make or break, I guess. Just make or break is putting it on the field and not falling into that category of just, oh, we're better than these teams. Don't don't slip up along the way more than, I don't know, three times. Because it's a road-heavy schedule at Florida and Ben Hill Griffin Stadiums, their first SEC game. It's a tough place to play. You're playing Miami away from home as well for the season opener. I glossed over that, of course, because nah. it's a verse on the schedule, and relatively that's a home game considering how close Alabama fans are from Atlanta, Georgia, versus that's, Miami from Atlanta, Georgia. It's still Alabama, a nice track. It's Alabama North, let's be honest. Let's see. How far away Miami to Atlanta That's a good drive. long drive. Let's see how far away that is. It is 10 hours away. It is closer from Auburn to Cleveland, Ohio than it is to than than it is from Miami to Atlanta. So definite home field advantage and they there if anybody drive, was questioning. Oh, 100%. But. Then they got to drive all that way just to get 50 points hung on them and a 40-point loss and then go tucking their tails between their legs going back to South Beach I, t- I take that back it's 12 hours to Cleveland all right so Auburn to Cincinnati then excuse me like and there's there's a lot of land there from South yeah. Beach Florida all the way to Atlanta Georgia which is in the northwest portion of the state of Georgia there, there's there's a nice little trek there so that is home field advantage for Alabama but still away from home they're not playing in Bryant-Denny Stadium in addition to that once again the road game in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium at the Florida Gators. They've got to go to College Station at Texas A&M, to Davis Wade at Mississippi State. They will go to Auburn in Jordan-Hare Stadium. So you got four games that are true road games, five away from home, and the, I would say the best teams on their schedule, aside from LSU, are all away from home. 
And they got some of, and they got a draw where they're playing some of the tougher road environments in a year where we are expecting 100% capacity to come back. At least I think that's that's right. That that's everybody general consensus right now. At least in the SEC, and you're getting some of the tougher ones. Mississippi State, tough place to play. Everybody knows the cowbells clang is happening. Like that's going to be a tough place. Like it's even when they're bad, it's still aggravating and tough to go play there. Uh, you got Kyle Field, you know that monster of a stadium. You're playing in the swamp. It, at Jordan Hare, like you're playing in three some, very loud environments. You're Honestly, playing in, three of the loudest environments say, in the if, SEC, I would if, say. If you add LSU, if you add Tiger Stadium and Death Valley to that schedule, like you're playing the four loudest environments in the SEC. By exactly, far. and you're playing. You're, I think they're all louder than Bryant Denny. Yeah, I mean, you're playing four tough ones. You're playing four really tough road games, but they're games you still expect to win because the talent that you have, the coaching that you have, you still believe that this team is going to go in there and win those games. So, so I'd say the make or break factors here that we've been able to come up with to decide hard. whether or not hard. Yeah, to decide one. whether or not Alabama will win a national championship next year. I would say how how does this offense gel together with some new pieces? You've got new guys having to step up at every single position group. You lose your starting quarterback, you lose your starting running back, you lose your top two receivers, you lose several offensive linemen. Of course, we've heard this before, but how does it all gel together? That will be extremely important. Oh, by the way, you lost your offensive coordinator who was so adept and so good at pulling all that together. So that's a major factor for Alabama. On top of that, you're playing a road-heavy schedule some of the tougher road environments in college football you have to go to florida to texas a&m to mississippi state to auburn so you've got four road games right there three of which are pretty difficult places to play are very difficult places to play at and then i would also say on the defensive side of the ball where is this pete golding defense at going into year three for alabama is this Pete Golding defense going to be the Pete Golding defense that had Alabama fans ripping hair out of their skulls? Or is it going to be the Pete Golding defense that showed up to play at the national championship game against Ohio State? All of that remains to be seen. But one thing is for sure, this Alabama team, of course, as talented as it always is, it's just about putting the pieces together this year on a relatively young offensive side of the ball and making sure the defense, which is pretty experienced, especially when you add a guy like Henry To'o To'o to the defensive side of the ball. It got better, a lot better. Does the defense play at its peak and the offense continue to, to fire on all cylinders? If it does, this is going to be just as dangerous of an Alabama team as always. That's it for another segment of that make or break series on SEC teams as we continue to prepare for fall 2021 here in the month of May. We've knocked out four SEC teams, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. We'll continue that series throughout this week and into the next going over make or break factors for SEC teams. On the other side of this break, the race is heating up for Georgia transfer guard Katie Johnson. All that and more on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line to drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. The race heating up for Georgia transfer guard KD Johnson. Could he be going to Auburn? If he does, what could this do for the Tigers? You know, obviously, if you're you're out from underneath your rock and been on social media at all, of course, you're going to see things out there about Scoot Henderson, whether or not he's actually coming to Auburn. Is the G League calling for him? What is all this about? It's hard to decipher. But Auburn, I think at the end of the day, regardless of which one you're getting and of course I, I, I think most people would want to see Scoot Henderson in an Auburn jersey just with how highly touted he is as a point guard but regardless of which guy you're getting you're getting a very talented guard if one of these guys steps on campus at the Plains but yeah it's, like you said if you lose out on Scoot Henderson you want to have some sort of insurance because you have put a lot into trying to get this guy to to come to Auburn and it's looking like he's going to go to the pros it does or he's the G League it looks like he's going to take the professional route instead of you know going to a collegiate program so you would think that you know you can get a guy like katie johnson he's a semi-local kid kind of in auburn's backyard out of atlanta it seems that that around atlanta decatur area that his you know bruce pearl has really tapped into and really used his advantage you try to get a guy like that to come into auburn you're getting a, a you're getting a fine piece a guy that can provide some depth obviously it's hard to be it's hard to not be disappointed if katie johnson comes and scoot henderson doesn't come because you kind of had 
you, like Auburn fans had their mindset that they were like Scoot Henderson is reclassifying is coming here. Like he's it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, disappointing to say the least. Not from not on any part of Katie Johnson's end. It's just what Auburn fans will probably view as what could have been versus what they got, and it's a it's a little bit you know disheartening for Auburn fans. I would say. Georgia's getting gutted right now, oh, though. Man, that's Severe like Wheeler headed off to Kentucky. Is that the, what, ninth? Ninth player? Sixth player? You know, some coaches get fired for this. Like, sometimes you see, like, a mass exodus of players, and then the coach, like, people, like, start inquiring into the program as to why the players are leaving. Like, you see that sometimes. And Tom Crean's over here, like the like the emoji, or not the emoji, the, the meme of the dog sitting in the house this on is fire. Fine. This is fine. It's going to be okay. Everything's fine. And, and, like, he's recruited pretty well. Like, you have to imagine... Tom Crean thought that he was having this program going generally in the right direction. But when you're still in the bottom of the SEC and you had Anthony Edwards, you you, you had Ant-Man, and, and then you also have some of these other high-profile players that have came into the program over the last couple of years, this Georgia, this Georgia program is it's definitely in the cellar right now with, with the way that things are trending. It reminded me of like when there was that time period for Washington basketball where I felt like every year they were pumping somebody to the lottery in the NBA. And in my head, I was thinking, when was the last time Washington did anything? It's like they keep getting these guys like Marcus Chris, Markel Fultz. But they were still like, Mark, even that Markel Fultz Ross. team wasn't even good. That's what I'm saying. Like they kept yeah. having these guys who were coming to the league. And I'm so like, what is going on? I'm like, why are they like, even Isaiah Thomas was popping out from Washington. I'm thinking, you keep sending these guys to the NBA, but you're not doing anything. Like in my head, I was like, that's got to be one of the worst coaches in the country. He might can recruit, but good Lord. And then you start to like tie that back in. You kind of start thinking about that with Georgia right now with Tom Green because he was he's he was getting guys into the program. He has been getting not top, like absolute great recruiting classes, but you had a top tier talent. You had Anthony Edwards and you didn't really do anything with that. Look at Oklahoma State. They, that was not a great basketball team. And they had Cade Cunningham, who's the presumed number one overall pick. At least they made a tournament run. They went to the tournament, and they did a little bit with him. Georgia didn't really do anything with Anthony Edwards, and now you're looking at him, and he's actually, he came on pretty strong towards the end of this year and was really showing why he was the number one overall pick. So you're thinking about it from the Georgia perspective that they haven't done anything with some of the talent that they're getting. And like you said, it starts to kind of beg the question that people start kind of coming in. It's like, why are all these people... Now leaving the program, you've already been kind of underwhelming with the talent that you had. Now people are leaving. What's up? Also, like, think about the fact that three players could have transferred to SEC schools. Severe Wheeler just went to Kentucky, Ty Fagan to Ole Miss, and it's very possible that KD Johnson chooses Auburn. So I, it's it's. That's you, tough. Not only are you losing some transfers, you're, you're losing, losing them to rivals. Yeah, you're losing them to Kentucky. You're losing them to Auburn, Auburn, Ole Miss. I mean, you're losing them to two guys, you know, two teams that you're regularly playing in Kentucky and Auburn. So, and this stinks because Tom Crean can coach. I mean, Tom he, Crean rebuilt the Indiana. He had the, them. He put the pieces together with everything that was falling apart after the sanctions that came in at the at the late two thousands. He builds them up, gets them back to a one seed, recruited really well with them. Of course, inevitably his time came to an end at Indiana in the mid two thousand tens, and that's why he's now at Georgia. But still, the guy can coach, and he's been getting like he from what you've expected from Georgia, he's been getting better players in there. I mean, yeah, he's recruited Atlanta fairly well. And that's what you need to do. I mean, it's still if, Auburn's pipeline, but it's, it's definitely Auburn's area to recruit, but I mean, he at least has been doing better than what Georgia was doing prior to his but prior to him coming in there at least on the recruiting standpoint. A little bit underwhelming on the court, but at least they they could have they could hang their hat on the fact that they were getting some guys in the building. But it doesn't really mean anything if the guys that you're getting on the team are leaving, and not only leaving and transferring, they're going to teams within your own conference, rival teams like Auburn, like Kentucky. Like you, that's you, it's kind of it's not irredeemable, but it's really, really hard for me to look at this and think Tom Cream. Like I, I don't feel safe with his job right now, looking at it because I'm just thinking, what's going on there? Something's happening. I think like something has to be happening in like in the program that people don't know about for, I mean, if you have nine players leave, I mean, something's up unless you're a, 
you know, a top team like a Gonzaga or a Duke, and you just have guys who want to go somewhere and play because they're kind of buried on it's the depth. Definitely not great. Yeah, it's not, and that's not happening in Georgia. So I'm not sure what's going on, but there's something going on. Something's in the water. Something there. that the players don't want to be there for. I understand, but. You look at him over the last three seasons. Tom Crean's three years at Georgia, eleven and twenty-one in his first year, two and sixteen. You give the guy a pass, but he's put three years in the books here. He goes sixteen and sixteen. Last season, not this one that just wrapped up, but but two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty, the COVID year, five and thirteen in conference, finished thirteenth. So back to back thirteenth place finishes in the SEC. He then finishes tied for tenth this year at fourteen and twelve overall and seven and eleven in SEC play, which is not horrendous but it's not great either when you evaluate tom crean after three years he's 41 and 49 overall 14 and 40 in conference play and he just had nine players transfer out of the program nine and three of them are going to sec schools not a good look for the georgia basketball program and it definitely looks like there's some tough times coming if there hasn't been already for georgia basketball gone are the days of those jj frazier basketball teams at georgia that have gone to ncaa tournaments in the in the past georgia right now is a is a far cry away from an ncaa tournament at the moment at least that's what it appears to be georgia basketball definitely struggling but hey they've got football you know so what so what do they do what do they do to to move on from this i mean like wh- uh, where's your the, ne- dick vital said at the end of the day like you can coach all you want but you got to get players and he said that georgia right now is just not getting the same types of players that are going to auburn kentucky Tennessee, LSU, not recruiting on that level. And, I don't now, know if there's and, much you can do if you're Georgia right now. And don't leave don't leave Alabama out because they've started recruiting well well too. So I mean, you now have Alabama that they're competing with in you there's know, also in their a conference. volume. There's also a, oh yeah, Alabama as well. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have left that out because Alabama's you know preseason top five, top ten across some outlets already, or or these way too early top twenty fives. They've had Alabama up there, but. And they had an excellent recruiting class this year as well, you know, top five, top three in college basketball. But when I look at it, that that is the truth. There's a, there's at least five teams recruiting far better than they are, a massive gap, a huge gorge in between Georgia and then everybody else in terms of recruiting right now. My thing is Georgia will get one great player every recruiting class, it seems. They'll get a KD Johnson or even more so they'll get an Anthony Edwards, but then it won't turn into something they won't have enough supporting players around them there's not a cultivation of a program yet in athens they're not consistently bringing in four stars all over the place auburn has done that tennessee has done that kentucky has done that georgia's not in that spot a lot of it has to do with recruiting and tom crane has not been able to fix that in his three years 30 minutes through hour number two of on the line when we come back we talk a little nfl football you're listening to on the line Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Monday afternoon. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line. And I believe we had Shane just a moment ago, and I think he dropped. So before we... I, and now I think he's called back in. Before we go back to the phone lines, though, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey, everybody. It's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. New episodes of CBS's Monday lineup at 7. It's The Neighborhood. At 7.30, Bob Hart's Abishola. At 8, All Rise. And at 9, Bull. On ABC, it's a childhood classic with Monsters, Inc. at 7. Following it at 9, it's a new episode of The Good Doctor. The Voice has the live top 9 performances at 7 on NBC. A new episode of Debris follows it at 9. Some movie selections for tonight. Paul Blart, Mall Cop 1 and 2 is on Freeform at 6. And if you've got three hours to burn. Forrest Gump is on Paramount at 6. In live sports, there's just one baseball game on national television with the New York Mets at the Atlanta Braves at 6 on ESPN. The NHL playoffs are upon us with Game 2 of the Bruins Capitals Series at 6.30 on NBCSN. At 7 on CNBC, the Nashville Predators and the Carolina Hurricanes begin their series. And at 9 on NBCSN, it's Game 1 between the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, and now we're going to head to the phone lines. We do have Shane on the line with us. Shane, squeezing it in hey, here at the uh, at the last segment of the show. How's it going, man? Yeah, how, how are you guys doing? Sorry, I don't know what's going on with my phone, but <laughs> it's not a big it's not a big deal at all, man. Sometimes we all we all have we all have troubles with it. But uh, how yeah. was your weekend? Well, weekend was good. I got to watch a, a 
I didn't get to watch. Got to listen to a little bit of baseball. Um, we actually, we actually did well. And you know, I, I was scared to death at, at the, the last game, uh, for and the last you know two innings. It just, it just, it was hard to like to, to not think that something terrible is about to happen because it looked like it was about to happen again. But the, I, I'll give it to what was it, Skipper. It was uh, Skipper. He, he pulled it out. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a good win for it. Confident, and, and you got to give credit to Joseph Gonzalez too, who came in and, and oh, pitched yeah. a large chunk Definitely. of that middle relief. Gonzo has really turned it on at the end of the season for Auburn, and I think a lot of these relievers, as bad as the bullpen has been in its totality, I think every single bullpen pitcher though has had at least a two-week stretch where they've looked good across a two-week stretch in the season at some point. They never all put it together at the same time, but at least every single player has had at least one little stretch of games where they've looked pretty good. Well, that means we're going to Omaha, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. That just means uh, that just means they may go to Hoover this year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, crazier things have happened than, than us winning the SEC tournament. That is true. That is true. That would be, that'd be crazy. And last thing, you ate two whole pieces today? Oh, I mean, not the whole pizza. I mean, like two slices of pizza. Yeah, I probably should have probably should have specified there, but that would have been impressive if I could have done that. Yeah, it would have. I was, I wasn't, I was impressed there for a second. No, nah, I, uh, I can uh, put groceries away, but not, not that much. Yeah. Hey, uh, is the softball are they done for the year? No, they're they're the two seed in the Tallahassee regional. I feel like I've said that a million times, but they have. I wasn't there. They, <laughs> No, you. I mean, just in your lifetime, you said it a million yeah. times. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where yeah. We yeah. All, where we always play. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Now, I wasn't saying that you, that we had been asked that. I meant um, the Auburn's always, whether it's baseball or softball, they're always playing in Tallahassee. Yeah. That, yeah that's true. Do you know when it starts? Uh, I believe they play this Friday. I believe that's when their first game is. I'll need to check on that. But Levi's Levi's working on getting that. So before we get out of here, we'll we'll make sure we tell folks. But okay. They are right, uh, pretty favorable, uh, pretty favorable region, I'd say. Obviously, it's always tough having to play in Tallahassee, but good for them to get into the tournament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, guys, War Eagles. Talk to you later. Appreciate it, Shane. That was Shane on the line with us. And Levi, I know you're looking for that for uh, when they play, but I believe they play Friday, a, re- a regional that also features a couple of Florida teams. You got UCF and you got Florida State in there as well. I believe Auburn's taking on UCF, right? Yes, they're taking them on Friday. It doesn't say a time yet. Okay. Or no, 1 p.m. I, right. I just can't read. <laughs> it was too tiny. It, was, it escaped my eyes. But yeah, they're playing uh, Friday. They're playing UCF. All right. Well, there you got it. And then the winner of that game will advance to play Florida State and the winner of Florida State. And do you have the other team? The other team was Kennesaw State. Oh, the Owls. Auburn has played these teams already. I don't. I can't remember if Auburn's played UCF this year, but I know Auburn's played Florida State and Kennesaw State both. So familiar so they, with the teams inside this inside this region. They lost zero to two against Kennesaw State. Uh, they. They won four to three against Kennesaw State, so they split those two games. And then it was I, the same weekend, if I remember correctly. And I do believe that yes, and, and they it, split with Florida State as well. Yes, lost one in five innings because just a massacre, and then they won two to one. Yeah. So typical Auburn softball fashion. They're either I think you could say they got a shot. Then they still have to at the end of the day they'll still have to eliminate Florida State twice. I would say at the end of the day that'll be what it comes down to. But they do have a shot. They at least were able to take one against the Seminoles, so that can get you to the all-decisive game three at the end of that regional. You just got to be able to beat them. You got to beat them twice. You beat them it, twice, they're done. It comes down to one thing. They got to hit. They got to hit. You got to hit. You look at it, pitching's not an issue. They've been able to rattle off some wins this year against what you think are better softball teams based off the fact that their pitching has kept them in, and they haven't had to hit that much. Yeah. The SEC tournament was not a glowing image, though, of being no. able to hit mm-hmm. well, so... That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.